Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Happy Halloween to you! This is Avery After Dark, and I'm your host, Avery Ross. Welcome back to the show. I am so happy to be a part of your day. Thanks so much for following this podcast, and I so appreciate all the sweet reviews on Apple Podcasts. It all means so much to me, so thank you. I hope you all have had a great spooky season, but let's be honest. For us, it's always spooky season. Today's episode, I wanted to do hauntings because it's Halloween. For today's special Halloween episode, I have two of the creepiest true haunted cases I could find. You know I have to do it big for you. I initially stacked these as scary to scariest, but now that I'm thinking about it, they're both pretty frightening. So buckle up. Today's episode, we're getting very spooky. Before we get into it, Make sure you're subscribed to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel. I post all podcast episodes on my channel. So many great photos and videos to go along with these haunting cases. And thank you so much to everyone who has already subscribed. Now, without further ado, today's first case. This is the Surrency Family Haunting. What do you do when there's nowhere to run and hide? What happens when a haunting, an entity follows you wherever you go. These are questions the Surrency family asked themselves on a daily basis after an entity on a rampage took over their lives for years. In the 1870s, the Surrency family lived in a big house near the railroad tracks that ran through the Georgia town of the same name. If you've never heard of Surrency, it's in Appling County, about 90 miles southwest of Savannah. Before the town was established, the Surrency family owned a big farm there in the 1800s. They were a very normal family, they had a bit of money, and by all accounts, the Surrency family home was a beautiful farmhouse, and they seemed very comfortable there before the paranormal activity began. But one day in 1872, it was like a switch flipped. Something shifted for the family. A malevolent entity took hold, and the terror began. Word spread all over this small Georgia town, captivating the media. The Surrencies became the center of one of the most documented hauntings in history. And they found, even when they desperately left the farmhouse, no matter where they went, this entity would follow them everywhere. Before the town of Surrency was established, Alan Surrency and his family lived in a two-story farmhouse, and from all accounts, they were your typical normal family. Alan made a great living. He ran the only general store in town and operated the town's sawmill, in addition to running the farm. He was described as well-to-do, an honorable citizen of the community. He was trusted and had a great reputation. But at home, things were about to turn upside down. One warm summer day in June 1872, 
Mrs. Surrency was sewing in her bedroom when from behind her, she started to hear these strange sounds. At first, she didn't pay it any mind, but then she heard it again and again. She finally turned around to see a pitcher slowly shaking back and forth inside their washbowl. You may have seen washbowls. Before it was common for homes to have indoor plumbing, washstands were a fixture in a lot of bedrooms. There would be a water pitcher and bowl for washing hands and faces. So Maserancy watched as this bowl was trembling, like unseen hands were moving it. Then it started to increase in intensity and began rocking. And then the entire washbowl flew off the table and crashed into a thousand pieces on the floor. Miss Surrency began looking around to see where her children were, thinking that somehow maybe they pulled a trick on her. But she found the children were downstairs. And they had no idea what she was talking about. They outright denied they had anything to do with what happened. So the family chalked this up to a possible earthquake tremor. Not really sure how else to explain it away. Not long after this, one day, the Surrency family sat down at their dining room table for lunch. When suddenly they heard the door on the other side of the house open and then slam shut. They all jumped, but again, rationalized it. Maybe it was the wind, a summer storm approaching, perhaps. The family tried to continue with their lunch. Then, that same door creaked open slowly and slammed shut with such an aggressive force, the entire farmhouse shook. It was so powerful, it seemed like someone had slammed it shut with all their might. As the family listened in confusion, the dining room went berserk. The windows began opening, shutting on their own, raising and lowering, increasing in speed, the family watching in horror. Finally, the wooden panes of the windows began to break from the force. Mr. Surrency and his sons flew up from the table and began searching the house for some kind of intruder. The back door, the windows, they didn't know what to make of it other than someone had broken in and this intruder was terrorizing the family. They searched high and low, but found no one inside the house. And they had no explanation for what happened that day. Little did they know, this was just the beginning. From then on, the activity grew more frequent and more aggressive. And the dining room seemed to be a focal point for the activity. For months, the family would be sitting down to eat. And out of nowhere, it was like some invisible force would yank the tablecloth off the table, dumping food onto the family's laps and onto the floor. On numerous occasions, hot tea, soup, and coffee would be flung into their faces. And get this, utensils would snap into pieces or twist backwards while the family was holding them. <laughs> For those of you listening right now thinking, this doesn't sound like a typical haunting, you, my friend, are correct. This activity fell more in the realm of a poltergeist, which is a ghost or other supernatural entity that causes physical disturbances, such as loud noises and objects thrown around. And the Surrencies were being physically tormented by this entity, and it seemed to be gaining strength by the day, becoming increasingly more malevolent. As the family tried to cope, they kept things private, opting not to tell anyone about the activity in the home. But it was getting worse. The house was reportedly always cold. Terrible drafts would chill the family to the bone. Their home, a place they had lived comfortably for years, a place of peace, 
was now in a state of chaos every day. The Cernsey children were really scared. They refused to leave the house at night to check on the horses or gather water because they claimed that on numerous occasions, they witnessed multiple pairs of glowing red eyes surrounding them on the farm in the dead of night. Mr. and Mrs. Cernsey were becoming really worried for the children's safety. They didn't know what was behind this, but believed it was some kind of supernatural force. As it was becoming abundantly clear, no human was capable of this. Weeks rolled into months and things were escalating every day. Doors would slam shut, strange sounds coming from empty rooms, and bizarrely, it was also reported that the clocks within the home would strike 13 and the hands on the clocks would be seen spinning erratically, wildly out of control. The family wasn't sleeping well and they weren't eating. They didn't know what was going on, if this was one spirit harassing the family or if this was multiple entities or if this was something purely demonic. And sure enough, the entity did begin targeting the children. On one occasion, the Surrency's son, Robert, was sitting in their library room one day, reading a book, when out of nowhere, a heavy iron was thrown from the fireplace, hitting him. His brother, Sam, was in the room and witnessed the entire event. He said he saw the large and heavy brass object lift up on its own, hover for a moment, before it hurled itself through the air, straight at his brother. As Robert fell to the floor, Sam said he watched as the iron flung back into the fireplace as his brother was on the ground in shock. That is so scary. But it was Clementine, the Surrency's daughter, who was about 15 years old at the time, who seemed to be at the center of the poltergeist activity. Objects would be thrown at her, furniture would shake and move on its own in her presence, but it was night that she claimed it was the most terrifying. Something would grab at her hair, yank the blankets off of her. One evening, the entity got so aggressive, Clementine herself was pulled straight off the mattress onto the floor, and the entire bed flipped. The whole house obviously heard this commotion and came running to find Clementine on the floor, and the bed overturned. After this, Miss Cernsey saw that Clementine was being targeted, so she took her daughter and the two stayed with their son-in-law, at his house, a man named Mr. Patterson, thinking that getting Clementine out of the farmhouse, she would be safe. But hauntingly, the entity followed them to Mr. Patterson's house. As soon as Miss Surrency and Clementine got there, his house became ravaged by the poltergeist as well. Objects began flying off the shelves, furniture rising and crashing to the floor. And during this period, the activity back at the farmhouse ceased. For the family, this validated their theory that Clementine was the target. Now, poltergeist activity very commonly centers around one family, particularly one person. And very often, it's a girl, usually in her preteen or teen years. Eventually, Clementine and Miss Surrency returned to the farmhouse, and the entity followed them right back. That has to be one of the most anxiety-provoking aspects of a haunting like this that the entity will follow you wherever you go. There's no escaping it. We'll be right back. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. You're back with Avery After Dark. The family tormented tried everything, really. They packed up and moved to another house on the farm's property. But what do we think happened? They had a couple weeks of peace there until the activity began in that house as well. And again, during all of this, they were very wary of letting anyone know about what was going on inside the house. They tried to keep this really private. They didn't tell many people because they didn't want the community to think less of them. As we touched on, Alan was a prominent member in the town. He had lived there with his wife for years, ran businesses, had a very trusted reputation. So he didn't want his family's issues to be publicized. But the fact was, his children were petrified. And no matter where they went, the activity followed them. They were trapped. Eventually, the family did begin divulging what had been going on. And the local newspaper got wind of it. And sure enough, the family's paranormal activity made for big headlines all over the South. Front page articles read, The Most Haunted House in Georgia, and Ghost Activity Ravages Surrency Family. People in this small town and surrounding Georgia counties were intrigued by this. Journalists, paranormal investigators began showing up at the Surrency's front door. And at this point, Alan was so desperate for help He let investigators and reporters inside, hoping that maybe they could help. They weren't enjoying the notoriety, but wanted the activity to end. One reporter who visited the Surrency's home recounted his experience inside. He claimed as he was making his way around, he found himself in front of the family's clock that sat on the mantel and watched as its hands spun rapidly, just as the family had witnessed over the past months. He reported the clock's hands were spinning at a rate of five hours in a single minute. Now, this reporter was hoping to disprove this entire thing, because that would be one heck of a headline. So he opened up the clock, hoping to find a way this could be a trick. This clock had to be rigged by the family. But this reporter said he found nothing, nor any sign that this was faked. And he left that day thoroughly creeped out. When discussing how or why this was happening to the Surrencies, some suspected maybe the family's home sat on a ley line or some kind of powerful magnetic grid. Day after day, hundreds of people continued to show up at the Surrencies farmhouse in that fall of 1872, one after another. This haunting became such a popular story that the train depot nearby made a designated train to take those interested to the farmhouse. It was big news. When arriving at the home, the train conductor would say to the passengers, Welcome to Ghostville. One man visited the house quite frequently. His name was Charles H. Foster, who was a spiritualist medium. And he came from a little town drenched in paranormal history, Salem, Massachusetts. Ever heard of it? Foster actually stayed at the farmhouse with the family for a week. They were hoping that he could get to the bottom of things. During his time there, he claimed he made contact with the entities within the home. And he said these entities indicated that the Surrencies were sensitive, mediumistic, 
specifically Clementine. But others believe that it was actually not Clementine who was at the center of this. Some theorized it was actually Mrs. Serency, as she was present and in the house for all of the activity. And she was the first person to experience the activity in the home earlier that summer. This was all widely debated in the papers as well. It should be said that during this, the Serencys didn't make any money off of this haunting. No profits, they weren't paid by anyone to investigate the house, they didn't charge people to tour. Actually, according to many, they turned down offers to pay them to investigate and tour the home. They always maintained that they never wanted publicity, they didn't want fame, they just wanted this entity out of the home and for the activity to end. They were tired, they were at their wit's end. And they were also wondering, why us? But eventually, as it goes, months passed and the story became old news. People eventually stopped caring. But the activity within the home reportedly continued for years, until Mr. Surrency passed away in 1877. There was never any explanation for the activity, the torment the family went through, and through the years, it became lost in history but undoubtedly remains one of the most documented hauntings in history. Given how many people visited the house, how many people witnessed the paranormal activity firsthand, this haunting was in a class of its own at the time. And even in today's world, a haunting of this magnitude is pretty remarkable. Eventually, the Surrencies up and left the house, and afterwards, the home sat abandoned for many years. And decades later, the farmhouse burned to the ground, destroyed by a fire in 1925. In the end, many believe that the family was haunted, tormented, stalked by a malevolent poltergeist. Based on how aggressive the entity was, the physical disturbances in the home, many who have looked at this case believe that this was much more than just a haunted house. This was something much darker, evil. Typically, this type of activity starts with smaller, isolated events. Like Maserency witnessing the pitcher in the washbowl rock back and forth and then shatter on the ground. And over time, the activity will grow with intensity and severity. Poltergeist activity will typically last for months, but other times it can last for years. As we touched on, it usually centers around one individual, often female. Some people believe that poltergeists are angry, aggressive spirits trying to get attention, but others believe they're much darker evil, more demonic. And though this haunting took place decades ago, there's one aspect that still remains. In town, they call it the Surrency Ghost Light, or Surrency Spook Light, a mysterious light that reportedly appears along the railroad tracks, a reminder of the town's paranormal history. Per reports, it's a strange, mysterious yellow ball of light that can be seen hovering over the Surrency train tracks. Apparently, if you see the light, you cannot approach it because it will immediately disappear. Many have seen it, and legend says that Clementine Surrency herself was the first to see the light in 1872, the same year the haunting began. Story goes, one night she went down to the train station to meet her father as he was returning home from work one evening. And as she waited, she looked down the tracks anticipating seeing the incoming train lights, but instead, she claimed she saw a light in the shape of a man dressed in all white, coming straight towards her. She got so scared, she ran back home. Now, this is incredibly interesting, because this ties into Clementine 
possibly being mediumistic, sensitive, and brings in a whole new question. Was this haunting tied to the family, the farmhouse, the land, or the train tracks, the town in general? Definitely makes you wonder. And it's said that this light can still be seen to this day, a last remnant of the haunting that captivated this small little southern town so many decades ago. And it remains a part of the town's history. But I gotta know, what are your thoughts on the Surrency family haunting? This is one of the most intense cases of poltergeist activity I've ever heard of. So I would love to know your thoughts. Where do you believe the activity came from? Do you think it was tied to the family or the town? Drop your thoughts and theories in the comments. You all always bring such great insight into these cases. Ideas that I hadn't even thought of. We'll be right back. Now for today's second case. This is the haunting of Summerwind Mansion. I want you to think back for a second. When you toured the home you live in right now, what drew you to it? Did you feel at ease the first time you walked through? Did it just have that homey feel? Or were you drawn to the home's beauty, its history? Or was it the land, that indescribable pull, like a magnetic force? Some say that as soon as they stepped foot inside their home, they knew it was theirs. Almost like it was fate, destiny. For Ginger Henshaw, it was like a magnetic force that drew her in. On the shores of West Bay Lake in Wisconsin sat an old, sprawling mansion. In the summer of 1969, Ginger was visiting a friend, and the two decided to take a trip over to what the locals referred to as the Old Haunted House. The mansion had sat vacant and empty for over 40 years, and upon seeing it, Ginger said she was immediately drawn to it, couldn't wait to get inside. She said she felt bad for the house. Ginger had just gotten remarried and had four younger kids, and when seeing Summer Wind, she felt like it could be the place they could spend the rest of their lives. Her friends told her, Ginger, this house is haunted, and she said, okay, then I guess I'm going to live in the haunted house. What could go wrong? Famous last words. After Ginger initially saw Summer Wind, Per her own words, she said she was obsessed. She felt sorry for the house. She went home and told her family all about it. In the coming weeks, she brought her kids and her husband Arnold to Summerwind, wanting to get their approval. She and Arnold were very much happily in love newlyweds. They got along great, and Arnold really cared for Ginger's kids. He owned a construction company, so when they pulled up to the sprawling mansion, he saw a great opportunity in buying it. Summerwind was a huge property, but it was a major fixer-upper. It had been empty for years and had fallen into a state of disrepair. So Arnold and Ginger thought they could fix it up. It would be a great investment. So they made the decision. Summerwind was going to be their new home. Now Ginger's nine-year-old daughter April, on the other hand, wasn't so sure. She said as soon as she laid eyes on the mansion, she was creeped out. She said she got the feeling she didn't want to be there. But in the next few weeks, Ginger and Arnold began their work on the mansion. And this was going to be a big job. They quickly realized they were going to need a lot of help. They couldn't do it, just the two of them. So the two began asking around town, trying to find people that could help them with some of the bigger jobs. But when they would give the address of the mansion, they found they were turned down by everyone. These contractors would say, uh, no thanks. We're not available for that job. Click. 
Strangely, they also noticed that when they would have deliveries made to the house, the delivery men wouldn't even pull up the driveway. They didn't come anywhere near Summerwind. They would leave all the deliveries at the end of the driveway and then pull off quickly. They knew the house had a reputation for being haunted, but they didn't think it was gonna be like this. The couple had issues finding anyone really that would willingly enter the house. Plumbers, contractors, nope. People would initially be interested in the work, but as soon as they found out the job was at Summerwind, the haunted house, the tone would shift and suddenly they weren't interested anymore. One day, Ginger was in an upstairs bedroom and inside one of the closets, she found the original blueprints for Summerwind, how the home was originally set up. From that point on, it was like some force was driving her. She said she was overcome with an obsession to renovate the mansion and bring it back to its former glory, how it was decades before. Ginger said, I was obsessed. I had an assignment, a job to do. As she continued her work, she began noticing strange things around the house. She would turn around to find furniture would be moved. Ginger and Arnold would find the window in the master bedroom would be opened on its own. They would close it, only to walk in a few moments later and find it open again. She would hear strange sounds, voices, see shadows out of the corner of her eye. But she said she didn't want to play into the haunted house thing and refused to believe it at first. Ginger's children did not like Summer Wind at all. They said they always felt watched in the home, no matter what room they were in. It was always uncomfortable. But hands down, one of the creepiest things that happens is within those first few weeks in the home, Arnold's demeanor and personality completely shifts. He stopped going to work. He began sleeping in all day, staying up all night. He lost interest in the home entirely. He wouldn't complete any work on it. And he had a bizarre newfound obsession, playing the piano inside the mansion, all day and all night. Ginger and the kids listening as these haunting piano melodies echoed throughout the halls all night. Just imagine that. Think about being in this creepy old haunted mansion and then at night having to listen to your stepdad have a mental breakdown on the piano all night long. There's creepy and then there's that. And that wasn't all. Arnold was becoming increasingly hostile and hot-tempered with his family. He went from what Ginger and the kids described as a loving family man to an insanely angry individual. And strangely, he stopped talking entirely. Ginger said he would just wander around the mansion, withdrawn. She said she would find him just staring out windows. <laughs> I'm out. The kids said he felt evil, like he was being possessed by something in Summerwind. One day, while at home alone, Ginger was walking upstairs when suddenly she heard a deep male voice call out her name. Then moments later, she saw a grayish male figured apparition in the hallway. She stood there frozen and then it vanished. Ginger now knows she saw a ghost. The house is haunted. I mean, everyone told her it was haunted and it is. Surprise, surprise. Now juggling the fact that this mansion is indeed haunted and Arnold's concerning behavior one day, a few weeks later, Ginger had some friends over to show them the house, hoping that beginning to make the house a home, things would start to feel more comfortable there. Oh, she was wrong. 
As they sat in the family room, Ginger went into the kitchen to grab some drinks. And then from the next room, she heard screams. The couple said they sat and watched as an apparition formed in the corner of the room and they ran out screaming. Ginger said she never talked to them again. So obviously not some great friends. Look, if you can't stick by my side while I live in a haunted house, what kind of friend are you? In the meantime, Arnold was getting much worse. His construction business failed, and he was just playing that piano all night long. And the songs he was playing were getting darker. The family described the music he would play as evil. The kids said they hated living there, they were sad all the time, and Ginger was so overwhelmed by the house, she would often go lay down in the woods alone at night. What? By winter, the family had to move all their beds into the living room because the house was so cold. They had to huddle around the fire at night. The bills were unpaid, electric and heat were shut off in the mansion. Ginger said they had lost so much money with Arnold no longer working and said they were going down the drain. I mean, talk about a nightmare. And by that point, Arnold wasn't speaking to anyone anymore. He would just wander around the house. Finally, one of those cold frigid nights, Ginger called her dad and asked for help. She said this was it. She had given up on the house and her marriage. So Ginger's dad, Raymond, came to the mansion within the next couple days and picked up Ginger and the kids. Those kids booked it at the front door. They were so ready to leave. Arnold left Summerwind the next day and after that, Ginger and the kids never saw him again. They said that the Summerwind mansion ruined any relationship they had, but she and the kids needed to move on, and they did. In spring 1972, a few years had passed and Ginger and the kids were living in Canada, and she vowed to never go back to Summerwind ever again. Ginger sold it to someone else after moving out, a woman named Mrs. Murray. But this was strange. Mrs. Murray owned the house, but she refused to go inside. She would bring people to the home to give tours, but would not enter the place. She'd stay in the car. So, case closed, right? Far from it. In the years since Ginger moved out, her dad Raymond had a growing obsession. He could not get Summerwind out of his mind. Lord. He said the same thing as his daughter, that when he saw the home, he felt sorry for it, and it called to him. Raymond asked Miss Murray if he and his son Ray, who was unemployed at the time and looking for a new project, could tour the house. She says yes. Now, the startling thing about this is Raymond knew about what had happened to his daughter in the house. She told him about everything. The haunting, the ghosts how it turned Arnold into someone she didn't even recognize. Ginger said that there was something dark in Summerwind. But did this stop him? No. He said he didn't believe in ghosts. This family clearly had issues listening, hearing the warnings people were giving. Friends warned Ginger that Summerwind was haunted. She didn't believe it. Now her dad was warned that it was haunted. He didn't believe it either, but he was about to. Both Raymond and Ray became infatuated with Summerwind. They were drawn to it. The two had a vision of converting the mansion into a hotel and restaurant, restoring it, and inviting in the public. Yeah, you heard me right. They wanted to bring unsuspecting guests into this place, this mansion that had a history of possessing people. Are you kidding me? 
So Raymond decides to buy it from Mrs. Murray. But first he's got to break the news to Ginger about his plans. So he calls her up and is like, hey, I'm going to buy Summerwind. And she's like, what? The same Summerwind that made my life a complete nightmare? This house was pure misery for her and the kids, and her dad wants to buy it. She tells him, you can't do it. But her dad doesn't listen. He buys Summerwind and begins working on the place with his son, Ray. Here we go again. The two begin calling contractors, and upon hearing that he had a mansion he wanted to convert into a hotel and restaurant, the response was always, oh yeah, we can definitely help you out with that. That's a big gig, lots of money. But then he would tell them, yeah, it's the Summer Wind Mansion. They'd all go, oh yeah. Actually, I don't think that's gonna work out. We're actually too busy. Click. Just like with Ginger, no one wanted anything to do with Summerwind. And not long into their work, Ray begins experiencing things inside the mansion. And one day comes home spooked from something he saw at the house, but won't tell anyone what happened. But Raymond sees that he doesn't want anything to do with the house anymore. He doesn't want to be there alone. He has lost interest. So Raymond, kind of picking up on some things here, finally knows something is wrong, so he reaches out to Mrs. Murray and gets more information on the original owner of the home. Miss Murray tells him that a man by the name of Mr. Patterson owned the place in the 1930s. Mr. Patterson lived in Summerwind with his wife, Mrs. Patterson. They were a wealthier couple. Those who visited the house and worked there would always say that they had really strange experiences inside, many telling the Pattersons that they believed the house was haunted. But the Pattersons didn't believe it. Why is no one believing anybody? I mean, you don't have to believe everything, but you should believe some stuff. This house seems to attract stubborn people, doesn't it? No one believes it's haunted until they do. And so one night, the couple was at home in the kitchen having something to eat when suddenly they looked up to see an entity had appeared in the doorway. So Mr. Patterson whips out his gun and begins shooting at it. He shot the ghost two times. That's a first. I don't think I've ever covered a ghost shooting before. The two ran out of the house and never returned. Raymond is now saying there's something going on at Summerwind. He's finally seeing the truth. One evening, Ginger met with her dad and brother to discuss plans for the mansion. She's very apprehensive, but wants to support her dad and brother Ray in their new venture. During their meeting, Ginger sees that her brother Ray is really nervous. He's very bothered, he's biting his nails, he's antsy. He had been on edge since he began work on the house. And in the years since Ginger moved out of Summerwind, she began studying the paranormal, hoping to understand what happened to her at that house. And while she was studying the paranormal, she learned about hypnosis. And this is where things get even crazier. Ginger offers to hypnotize her brother. She said it was going to help him quit biting his nails. And he's like, okay. During this hypnosis session, she tells Ray to look at a pen and he falls into a trance. And then Ray becomes possessed, okay? He begins speaking in this dark, deep, scary voice saying, you are weak, I am strong, over and over again. The voice also made comments about despising weakness, that he was very old, and disliking his seven children because they were so weak. Finally, I guess they had enough and they brought Ray out of the trance. When he comes to, Ginger tells him about the voice and he had no memory of it. Ray finally reveals what happened to him at the mansion that day, what spooked him so badly that he left. 
He said he was upstairs alone at Summerwind when he heard two gunshots clear as day and then witnessed an apparition form in front of him, a male figure, and then this entity began charging at him. Now, when Raymond hears his son's experience, he's stunned. As this ties back to what Mrs. Murray had told him about the Pattersons, firing two shots at that entity that formed in their kitchen. Raymond is now convinced that all of this is real. He believes there's an entity trying to communicate. So what does he do? He asks his daughter to hypnotize him now, to see what possesses him, I guess. Good heavens, word of the wise, don't do this. I have never heard of so many people rapid fire allowing entities to possess them like this. Like, hey, who wants to be possessed next? Not good. But Ginger hypnotizes her dad now. Raymond said he was determined to find out Summerwind's secrets. So he goes into a trance and in this hypnotized state, he sees himself inside Summerwind. He watches himself walk down to the basement of the home and he sees there's a wooden box tucked behind the wall. And in this box, he pulls out a land grant from 1767. He looks down and sees that the owner is a man by the name of Jonathan Carver. So Ginger brings her dad back too. They now have a name and a year and a possible location of this land grant. They believe it's in the basement beneath some old stones along the wall. Raymond begins researching Jonathan Carver and finds he was a well-known explorer in the late 1700s and supposedly was given a deed to one third of the state of Wisconsin. But despite searching all over Summerwind, looking for that wooden box with the land grant inside, the vision Raymond saw during his hypnosis, they never found that wooden box anywhere inside the home. That land deed was never discovered. They checked in the basement, behind the wall, but there was nothing. Even though they couldn't prove it, they believed that the entity that was tormenting the house was the ghost of Jonathan Carver, searching and wanting to find that land grant, haunting everyone inside Summerwind because this was his land. Eventually, Raymond, Ray, and Ginger decided they needed to say goodbye to Summerwind once and for all. This house had consumed them for long enough. So one day they left and never went back. Summerwind Mansion remaining this unsolved mystery in their minds. After they left, the house sat abandoned for years. In the summer of 1988, during a storm, lightning struck Summerwind multiple times and the mansion burned to the ground. Only ruins remained. So the secrets of the mansion were lost forever. If the deed was somewhere inside that house, inside those walls, no one would ever find it now. Historians and descendants of Jonathan Carver have searched high and low for that deed, but they have never found it. And many have wondered if this really was the ghost of Jonathan Carver haunting Summerwind. Was there ever a land grant? Or was this someone else, another entity? Everything about the haunting of Summerwind is a mystery. Because it burned to the ground, it all feels so incomplete. And according to some, many suspected it was actually intentionally set on fire to deter visitors drawn to the haunted house. I guess we'll never know. But what happened to this family is one of the most cautionary tales I've ever heard of. If multiple people are telling you that a house is haunted, maybe take a beat, mull it over. Do you believe it was the ghost of Jonathan Carver, an explorer that was attached to the land? Or do you believe it was something else? One of the scariest aspects of this case 
was how much the family said Arnold changed at Summerwind. They said it was like something within the home possessed him, and that is really scary. I would love to know your thoughts and theories on this haunting. Drop them in the comments. Thanks so much for joining me for today's episode. I want to wish each and every one of you a very happy and spooky Halloween. Stay safe, and I'm looking forward to next episode. You know I have another very mysterious case coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.